It is at this time that we would invite the children to head off to Children's Church. I imagine they've all skipped out the door already. We do Children's Church from nursery all the way up to uh, second grade. And so we want to invite them to head on out to that. For the rest of you, you are stuck with me. And uh, I'm so sorry for that. Um, I'm sure you guys are too after getting to hear Daryl last week. Now you know how good a preacher is supposed to be. Um, and you're still stuck with me. Uh, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And we are going to begin in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Acts. And we're going to be reading the first four chapters of the book of Acts this morning. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> The book of Acts says this, it says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them for with many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Please be seated. I'm curious how many in the room are, are New Year's resolution type of people. And a lot of times I, I hear people kind of say, uh, oh, I'm not a New Year's resolution guy. In fact, we talked about it very briefly in my Sunday school class this morning. I was got nervous because I thought Dave was going to steal my intro. Um, but, but is there anybody in the room that really does enjoy kind of doing the New Year's resolutions and kind of setting goals and doing all that? No one. Great. Okay. Well, I do. So there. Oh, thanks, Josh. Uh, I actually do. I, am, I, I don't kind of make a big deal out of it. I don't write a list or anything like that. But for me, January is always a time to start fresh. And I've always enjoyed that. In fact, as, as long as I've been a pastor, I've always felt like, you know, we have, we have so much stuff going on in the Christmas season. We've got extra services and cantatas and, and the decorations and all that stuff. That then when January comes, now it's like, okay, what do we want to do? Like, what do I want to see happen in the next year? And some of it might be getting in better shape and, and, and those type of things. But a lot of it is like, okay, in two, for me, in 2024, what do I want to see? What do I want to do? What do I want to learn? How do I want to grow as a follower of Jesus? And what do I want to see the church do? What do I want to see Tunnel Hill do or the ministries that I'm a part of? What do I want to see happen? And so I'm a goal setter and I like setting goals. In fact, at the, the end of, of every year, uh, we have a, a group of, of kind of the heads of all these different committees in our church. We get together. It's called the church council. And we kind of talk about the goals we've set for 20, 2023 and, and the goals that we're going to set for 2024. And I want to share one of those goals with you. We set about four and I'll share all of them with you over the course, uh, if you would like, but I'm going to share one for specifically this morning. And that is that our church has set a goal to focus on finding areas in our community where we can strategically and intentionally share Christ. In other words, we want to find places and people in our town who do not know Jesus and share Jesus with them. Sound like a good goal? 
We do plan as a church to continue partnering with ministries and missionaries in Kentucky and in the United States and even around the globe. But we also want to be the missionaries in our neighborhoods and in our communities and in organizations that we are connected. My hope and prayer is that in 2024, this is that this is the year that Tunnel Hill specifically breaks out and sees the gospel go forth into Elizabethtown. And I would really love to see not only us do that, but churches throughout Hardin County do that. But I do want to see Tunnel Hill Baptist Church on the front line advancing the gospel into places in our community that do not have it. Now, that might sound crazy. That might say, well, this is this is Elizabethtown, Kentucky. You can't throw a rock and not hit a church. But in reality, I think we can look, and as we start to really look at our community, we may begin to realize that there are places, that there are neighborhoods, uh, apartment buildings, nooks, crannies, groups of people, clubs, organizations, all sorts of that, where Christ is not named among them. And they don't know who Jesus is, and they don't really have a connection to anybody who does know who Jesus is, and nobody is actively trying to get to know them, let alone share the gospel with them. And so that is what I hope our church does in the next year. And we can't reach everybody. But by golly, I hope we reach somebody. And in light of that, we are going to start this year off doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. Because I don't think there's a better way for us to, to get excited about or to be motivated to see the gospel go forth than to get into the scriptures and read and learn about the, how the gospel went forth at the beginning. And in order to see how the gospel went forth, we obviously need to start at the beginning. And that's what we are doing today in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is, is an interesting book. It's, it's in a lot of ways the only one of its kind in the Bible in that this is the only book of the Bible that was an intended sequel. And if you, if you didn't know this, and you, you look at the Old Testament and you've got like 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, those were all just one book. And, and we split them up or somebody somewhere in history split them up to make them a little bit easier to to digest or easier to copy or transport or whatever but they were always considered one body of work one writing but only the book of acts was a book that was intended as a secondary a follow-up book to the previous book the book of acts was written by luke and so we have the gospel of luke as the first work in this two volume set and then we have the acts of the apostles as the second work in this two volume set And as we look at the Gospel of Luke, which we will several times this morning, you'll see how he is is communicating and he is setting things up and he has a purpose and a reason for writing. And then when we get into the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles or the book of Acts, we see in the passage that we just read, he's kind of reestablishing what has happened and kind of setting up what is going to happen in the future. He is letting know... He is helping remind Theophilus why the apostles believed and why he should continue to believe as well. He is reminding both Theophilus as well as us and indeed all those who would read um, Luke's writings why they were convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ and convinced in their need for Jesus as a savior. Now I want to point those things out to you in our passage today. First off, I want you to notice 
that they were, the apostles and, and, and Luke along with them, that they were convinced of the gospel, they were convinced of Jesus Christ by his teaching. Look right at the very first verse. He says this, I wrote this the first narrative, uh, Theophilus, about all that Jesus had begun to do and teach until the, until the day that he was taken up. He is, a, he is referencing back to the Gospel of Luke. And indeed, if you take some time this next week and look at the Gospel of Luke, you'll recognize that we begin the Gospel of Luke in, in the Christmas stories and genealogies and all the stuff that kind of set the stage. And then we end the Gospel of Luke in a, a ascension um, conversation and in a, a part where Jesus went up. And so all of this is a reference to that first body of work that Luke had done. Uh, Luke understood that Jesus' own teachings were faithful and true and that those who studied them, um, those that studied what he had taught, would soon come to believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Think about this for a second. Luke was so confident that if someone just listened to what Jesus taught and listened to the things that Jesus did, that they would begin to say, hey, there is something to this guy. There is something going on here. There is something about Jesus that, that is different, that is noteworthy, that this guy is someone special. In fact, he believed that so much, I want to read to you the introduction of Luke's gospel because it says, it says this. He says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. So that, this is the because, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. I love this because he's saying, listen, I'm writing this first gospel. And the reason why I'm writing this first gospel is so that you will have confidence, that you will have certainty that everything that you have been taught is true. And that you will know that everything that you have been taught, that everything that has been said about Jesus is true. And, and I'm giving you all of it. I've done all the research. I've done everything. I'm presenting it to you so that you might have confidence. We can look at other passages throughout the scriptures as we look, about, look at Jesus' teachings and we can realize that as Jesus taught, people came to believe. In fact, I want to point your, your attention to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, starting in verse 66, it says this. He said, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. We're talking about Jesus. So Jesus said to the twelve, don't you want to go away too? do you? But Simon Peter answered, I want you to listen to this. So Simon Peter is giving this answer to, do you want to leave? Jesus has been teaching some hard stuff. People have had a hard time understanding it. Because of that, they've all started to go home. His, his huge, massive following at one point has shrunk down to a, a much smaller following. And in light of this, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you want to leave? Everybody's leaving. If you're wanting to leave, now's the time. And I want you to look at what Peter says. I want to look how he just responds to this. He says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter, who had been with Jesus from the beginning, who was not a perfect man, and we know this, knew and had confidence that Jesus was teaching them the truth. That as he said it himself, that, that, that Jesus had the very words of life. And even though they were hard to understand, he knew that what Jesus had was the truth that was the very words of life. And because of that, in light of what Jesus was teaching and who he was and what he was saying, the only reasonable conclusion that he could possibly draw was that Jesus was the Christ. That is, that is astounding. First off, that should be motivation for us to get into the Word, right? It should also be motivation for us to, to teach the Word and to let people know what the Bible actually says. One of the things I find so astounding in the world that we live in today is there are so many people who have been surrounded by Christian culture for their entire life and yet have no idea what the Bible actually says. They have no idea what Jesus actually taught. They pick a verse here. They pick a verse there. Some of them go to churches. And yet when you you said, did you know Jesus taught this? Or could you tell me something that Jesus taught? They wouldn't be able to answer. I watched a video just in the last couple of days. And a guy said, I will give you $20 if you can quote to me one Bible verse. And he went through almost five people. And that's just what he shows on the video before someone could actually quote him a Bible verse. One! When he put people on the spot and said, can you tell me one verse from the Bible, they couldn't do it. Guys, we should allow the teachings of Jesus and the Word of God to just be a part of our everyday vocabulary. We should just let it be in there. We should be so saturated in the word that even when we open up our mouth, we can't help but communicate things that, that, that come from God. And I'm not saying we need to get all King Jamesy and start saying thousand these and doths and shouts and all that type of stuff. You know, you do you. But we should have the word in us so much that when we talk to people, quoting scripture or, or, or reminding them of the things that Jesus has taught and all that stuff is just second nature to us. You know, not in a hit them upside the head type of thing, but in a that's just who you are type of thing. Because here's something that we, we, we sometimes forget. When we show people Jesus and we show people who he was and what he taught and what, and, and what this gospel was that he was proclaiming, that's going to lead them to a relationship with him. See, one of the reasons why the apostles, and with, and with the apostles, Luke and Theophilus and all these other people, believed what they believed and had confidence that Jesus was the Christ was because they knew what he taught. <coughs> and they knew his teachings were true, and they were consistent. That he didn't go off and say crazy things. And that if they would live by what Jesus taught, that it would go well with them and they would be obedient to God. But that's just where it starts. See, that's just the beginning of it all. That's just the first part. And really for all the disciples, the, the belief and the confidence they had didn't come from, from anything outside of it. They saw some miracles, they saw some stuff, but they heard the teachings. But that's not where it ended. 
because there was actually something much more convincing that really set the set the bar and set the standard for the disciples and that what came them into what brought them into the book of acts and that was the resurrection itself see they were convinced first by the teachings of jesus but they were also convinced by the resurrection look again at verse three it says after he had suffered he also presented himself alive he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Paul explains this as well in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says this. He says, For I passed on to you of most importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. I want you to think about this for just a moment, that even when Luke was writing his gospel as well as the book of Acts, and certainly when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Corinth, there were still people around who who claimed to have actually seen Jesus after he was crucified. Think about that for a second. Luke is writing this gospel. Luke is writing these things. Paul, he's writing this letter. And as he's writing this, and they're talking about Jesus and talking about the resurrected Jesus and talking about what the gospel was, they are saying they saw him. Not they heard about someone who saw them or they thought that maybe somewhere they saw him or they had a really pixelated uh, trail cam photo of him walking through the woods. This wasn't a Sasquatch sighting. But that they saw him. Luke says they saw him over the course of 40 days and continued to teach them. Can you imagine for a moment? If you're Peter or, or uh, if you're John or, or James or, or uh, Matthias or, or any of those other people that were part of the 12, now 11, and you have watched the man that you followed be betrayed, beaten, humiliated, spit on, mocked, nailed to a cross, crucified, died, pulled off the cross, wrapped in linen, carried away, put in, a, put in a tomb, a giant rock rolled over in front of the tomb. They seal the rock to make sure it stays shut. All of that has happened, and now you are sitting on a beach eating fish, and he's still teaching you. That's in the Scriptures, by the way. I don't know about y'all, but I'm listening to what he had to say. And over the course of 40 days, he is teaching you, and not just you, but there are 500 other people who had some sort of interaction with the risen Jesus, that they were part of the teachings, that they were part of the, the, the time spent with him, not a sighting in the woods through a pixelated camera, not, a, not a, a, a brush of a robe in the corner of a closet. They saw Jesus, they spoke to Jesus, they talked to Jesus, and they did so over the course of weeks. Now, I'd be pretty convinced. How about you? It's an absolutely amazing thing. 
In fact, Luke relates one of those such stories in the gospel, in his own gospel. Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 24. I'm going to pick up in verse 36. This is one of a few uh, Jesus interactions in the gospel of Luke. It says, and as they were as they were saying these things, that Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. I think that's fair. And Jesus asked them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see. I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were amazed in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty convincing. I think I would take that one to the bank. You know, if this was all made up, if this was a conspiracy from the Council of Nicaea, or something that they all came up with and, and all, all had some idea about it, hey, we'll say he came back from the dead and that's how we'll keep this thing going, I'll be honest with you, I don't think it would have lasted. Because I'm all for a good practical joke, except at camp, teenagers. But if it came to the point where they said, we are going to kill you if you do not tell us the truth, I would probably tell the truth. I have a wife. I have kids. I need to provide for them. I need to help take care of them. If it comes to the point where it's either tell the truth or die, I'd probably tell the truth. But if they said tell the truth or die, and what I was telling them was the truth, then I guess I would die. And that's what every single apostle did under persecution, never being able to go back home, loss of friends and family. The apostles quite literally gave up everything. Why? Because they were convinced that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. And the reason that we are still gathered here today, worshiping the resurrected Jesus, was because they were convinced they saw him. But the resurrection was more than just an amazing demonstration of God's power. It was more than just evidence that, that would allow the disciples to keep talking about him. But it was a proof that Jesus was the Messiah. It wasn't just that something cool had happened. But it was the evidence and the proof that Jesus was in fact the Messiah who, who the nation of Israel had been waiting for, the one who would redeem uh, his people from their sins. Luke goes on to say it this way. <clears throat> In the same passage, he says, he told them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, this is what is written, listen to this, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. See, the apostles that we get in the book of Acts are the apostles that heard these words. And he had opened up their mind and he said, listen, I want you to understand this. The resurrection, my, the fact that I am with you, the fact that I have risen from the grave is proof that I am the Messiah. And now <coughs> you need to go. And you are going to share what you have seen and what you have been a witness to, to all of the earth. So that they might experience forgiveness of their sins. As we kick off the book of Acts, we're reminded that the apostles were convinced that Jesus was their Christ and that they became witnesses of this. They were convinced because of what he taught. They were convinced because of the resurrection and what they saw and experienced with their own hands. But then that begs the question, what are we convinced of? See, they believed for all the right reasons. But what should convince us? And I would propose to you today that we should be convinced by the very people that this book is going to teach us about. That we should be convinced because of the apostles. And as we read through the book of Acts and as we do our studies maybe throughout this year and the, what happened with Paul and Peter beyond this, I want you to recognize that these were everyday, ordinary people. Fishermen, tax collectors, run-of-the-mill people in Galilee and Judea. And yet they became the boldest witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. These, these people were not, they weren't Pharisees, they weren't Sadducees, they weren't part of the Sanhedrin, they weren't part of, of Jewish aristocracy. They weren't Romans who had power, and, and really even Paul eventually comes into the scene, and he was a Roman citizen, but none of the 11 were. They were nobodies, and not only were they nobodies, but they were nobodies from nowhere. Galilee was not a bustling metropolis. Galilee was not the center of the universe. It wasn't Rome, it wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't even an, an Antioch or a, or a Corinth or an Athens. Galilee was nowhere. And yet these nobodies from nowhere became such a bold witness for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, such a bold witness for who Christ was and the gospel that he had sent them with, that they literally changed the world. What would explain that? Apart from they really did see a resurrected Jesus. Apart from they really truly saw what his teachings would do and meant. And they were willing to risk 
everything to see the gospel go forth. These men and women face persecution, martyrdom, ostracization, starvation, and all kinds of abuse. Yet they never once denied Christ, even when they were facing certain death. In fact, look at how Luke describes these men in just a few chapters. Luke chapter 4, verse 13, we read this. It says, when they, and they being the Sanhedrin, observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. These men began a movement that is carried to us even today. One day, maybe in glory, and I've said this before, I I hope that I get to see the line. Because I really truly believe that at some point, somewhere, an apostle spoke to somebody. And that somebody spoke to someone else. And that someone spoke to someone else. And maybe that someone moved somewhere else and spoke to somewhere else and on and on it went. And then maybe it eventually made it to a Catholic priest, you know, way back in in the early days of the church. And that made it to someone in my family. And somehow I can go through that line and I can see how then someone shared the gospel with me. And I came to believe. And now I've gone on to share the gospel with others. And there's an unbroken chain from Pentecost to me. And I get to keep that chain going. See, the apostles were convinced by what they had heard and what they had seen and what they they experienced. And I believe we can have confidence today by what we read and what we see and what we experience in the life of the church even today. And I think that the same confidence that they had that led them to share should be the confidence that we have that leads us to share. If you are with us today, and Jesus Christ is your Savior, Will you follow the example of the apostles? And will you take the good news of the gospel for the forgiveness of your sins to the people around you who need to hear it? And if you are with us today and you are hearing this gospel for the very first time, let me communicate it clearly to you now. We believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That he lived a perfect life, did nothing wrong, committed no sin, so that he could die on the cross for our sins. Now our sins are when we do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it, and we give no regard to what God has actually called us to do. And so we do what we want, And we do not do what God wants us to do. And everyone here has done it. There is not a soul that has ever drawn breath that has been free from sin apart from Jesus Christ. (coughs) 
And Jesus died on the cross for your sins, taking the payment for those sins, doing, doing the, receiving the punishment that we deserve, and then he rose from the grave three days later. And when he rose from the grave three days later, he showed each and every one of us that he was the Christ, that he had paid the price, and that the life that he has is now extended to us. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. <coughs> and what we have received, God also offers to you. That if you would believe, and believe with all your heart and with all of you, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, if you will believe that, and you will confess him as Lord, you will make him the Lord and master of your life, then you will be saved. And you will become a part of the church family. You will become a part of this great unbroken chain all the way, going all the way back to the apostles of people who were convinced that Jesus is alive. And not only do you become a part of that chain, but now you have the opportunity to keep that chain going as you share the good news with others. If that is your desire today, you can come talk to me. I would love to just share a little bit more about that and we can pray to receive Christ. But you don't have to come to me because you are probably with someone who can do this, could tell you the same things and invite you to pray the same prayer to make Jesus Christ your Lord. But what will you do? Do you have that confidence? I hope. I hope that even what I've communicated today will convince you that Jesus is alive and that we can have confidence in the gospel. But what will you do with that? I pray you will share it. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, <coughs> we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for the opportunity that you give in a new year. And Lord, as we look to the future, we can see and we can think about all that you have and all that you have done. God, that we can be reminded of your goodness and your grace. And God, that we can communicate that goodness and grace to others. God, we praise you because you are good. We praise you because you rose Jesus from the grave, that, that you uh, put your seal on all that he had done, and that because of his faithfulness and his obedience, we can be saved. <clears throat> God, if there is anyone here today that needs to receive that salvation, Lord, I pray they do not wait one more moment before surrendering their life to Jesus. And God, for the rest of us, I pray that it would light a fire in us, that same fire that was in those apostles. And God, that we would go forth and that we would share the good news of the gospel and that we would engage our neighbors and the people that, that we get to know um, with the gospel. And God, that you would make us bold so that people might come to saving faith. Lord, we know we can't save everybody. But God, I pray that you would use this church to save somebody. And Lord, that we would get to see you work in our community from generation to generation. Well, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.